Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. Glad that you guys are here uh, to worship with us. I want to just take a moment before I launch into the message to uh, just talk about the opportunity uh, that Jeremy mentioned for uh, Easter uh, next Sunday. Uh, as a church, we spend a lot of time talking about the celebration that is Easter. And uh, if you're like me, it's easy just to kind of, it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. And if you've grown up in church, you've maybe had many Easter services that you've been a part of. Uh, but one of the things that we say a lot about uh, Easter is it's the best reason ever uh, to celebrate. And that really is true. And like Jeremy said, uh, we celebrate not just that Jesus came, but that he came and, and he died for our sins and that he rose again so we may have new life. And so his life represents the new life that we have uh, in Christ. And so what happens in the world is as Easter comes, just like in Christmas, there's actually a kind of a spiritual awareness that's raised in the hearts of people. And our goal as a church is not just to exist for ourselves. Uh, we actually want to exist for those that don't yet know who Jesus is. If Jesus came and died and he rose again, he did that for the whole entire world. And as a church, we want to let people know that that's true. Uh, we want to let people and communicate the hope and show the hope that we can have in Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you in your world in your neighborhoods and in your family and in your friendships and at your workplace, all the different places you go, uh, there's an opportunity to connect with people uh, that don't yet know who Jesus is. And they may be interested in coming to church, but you'd never know that. And so a great opportunity to kind of test the spiritual awareness of people in your life is to invite them to church. And Easter is actually a great time to do that because people have this sense, like it's Easter, it's something that should be celebrated Maybe I should go to church. And so I want to encourage you to just think through uh, some of those people who you can invite. And that's the reason we have those flyers and the reason we have the little business cards is so that you can utilize those and invite people. And if you're thinking, Alex, like, I don't hand papers to anyone. We also have the events on the web. And so if you just are way too intimidated by giving someone a paper because they don't know what to do with paper anymore, uh, you can go on to the events page of churchinthevalley.com if you click on the Alhambra campus. You go to the events page and you can share as an invitation. You can share uh, the event and send it to people. You can also post it to uh, social media, share through that as well. So I just want to encourage you. It's a tremendous opportunity. This year, uh, we also have extended our reservation after the service. And our goal is, as you, if you've been here before to Church in the Valley, you know that this is a, a high school. And if this is your first time, you, you figured that out really quickly. And we transform this place every week. And it takes a lot of work to get this place uh, set up and tore down every, every single Sunday. But next Sunday, because of Easter and really for the opportunity that we can have to connect with people, we, we've extended the reservation an hour. And so we're going to have an Easter egg hunt for kids, okay? All right, don't, don't bring your bags if you're an adult. Uh, we are going to have an Easter egg hunt for kids. But I want to encourage you, we, we have food and refreshments uh, next Sunday. And the goal of that is to allow us to interact with the guests that come to church. And we want to welcome them as guests. We want to consider them. And so after service is wrapped up, I encourage you to go outside to grab some food and, and talk to somebody that you may not know. Uh, connect with them. You don't know their story. You don't know their background. They probably were invited by one of you, and they're going to be here, Lord willing. But just take an opportunity to connect. And there's going to be an Easter egg hunt. The kids are going to be going nuts collecting Easter eggs. Parents trying not to stress out. There's going to be some sugar, but it's Easter. Okay, uh, what we're going to do as well, and this is where I want to invite you to kind of participate, is we're going to have some activities for everybody. Okay, we are going to launch next week our first ever Easter egg toss. 
I, we, we have stepped it up. Now, I would call it the first annual, but you never want to say that until you do it. So it will be our first one. We may never do it again, but we are going to do it next Sunday. Okay. And I want you to participate and ha- have fun. And there could be parents doing it with their kids, you guys doing it with each other, doing it with somebody you don't know. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt and then we're going to have another activity afterwards. So as a church, we're going to kind of be out in this courtyard, hanging out and doing some fun activities together. So I encourage you, I know that there's lunch plans and if you're going to have people over, there's like the food I got to, you know, but just take that, just take a moment to just connect with the people that, that God brings around. So think through who the people you can invite and then make the most of the opportunity that is next Sunday. Does that make sense? I'm really excited to see what, what God does. Uh, and also just as, as people come, that, that they'll come back and continue to engage just the story that God wants to unfold in their life. So just wanted to give you kind of my thoughts on that. And today I want to launch into the last week of our Pressure Points message. And we've been working through the book of James, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. And we've been talking about pressures that we face in life that cause discomfort, that cause us being overwhelmed, that cause us to be stressed out and anxious. And if you've ever come to church or you've ever arrived at work or you've ever been in any family gathering and you have this sense of like, I just don't have time for anything else. Uh, the book of James is actually written for you. Uh, this book is written to people who are overwhelmed. And it's written to people that are anxious and full of fear. And so if you find yourself struggling with some of those, or you just feel apathetic, or you feel like you don't know how you're going to continue just doing the same thing you've always done, uh, this book is, is great advice. And so I, I hope that you've kind of found some nuggets over the last few weeks. If you've missed any of the weeks, uh, you can always listen online at churchinthevalley.com. But I just briefly want to catch us up. We started the first week talking about how God uses pressure to grow us. Whenever we face pressure, the thing that the tendency in all of us is to face it and think what? Get me out of here as quick as possible, right? We don't wake up and be like, man, I just hope today is pressure packed and stressful. We don't, we don't say that. It's we want like the least amount of resistance in our life. But what you find is life isn't like that. There's actually a lot of resistance. There's a lot of things that unravels. We have a law even we've called Murphy. It's like anything that goes wrong, it's going to go wrong. And so life is full of all those unexpected and just overwhelming moments. And this book is saying, you know, make the most of the pressure because that's where God grows us. And so that's kind of where we've started and where we've been talking about. We've been talking about how God wants to grow our faith in the pressure. God wants to grow how we communicate to others in the pressure. God wants to grow us in conflict as we kind of, have experienced tension in our relationships with others in the pressure. And today we're going to wrap up talking about injustice. And that is, what do we do when we're under the pressure of feeling like we've been taken advantage of, of feeling like we've been wronged, we've been misrepresented, we've been treated unfairly? Uh, We've all had moments in our life where we've experienced personal injustice, where somebody's done something to us and we thought that 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 was not right. Or... We've been a part of seeing that happen to others around us. And there's this feeling that we have in our lives that when that, that happens, there's the kind of an alert that goes on. And that's because God has made us with this justice meter that, that exists in our souls. God made us, and he actually made us in his image. That's what the Bible says. And he's a God of tremendous grace that you can't measure. It's just full, and he's also... A God full of justice. 
And so because he made us in his image, we have this sense of justice too. Like what, what's right and just we, we look for. And so when that kind of is out of whack in relationships or circumstances, there's something in us that, that goes wrong. Something kind of un, unravels a little bit. And that's not, that's not bad. That's kind of a, the meter in which God, God made us with. But if you've ever st- said stuff like that, that's not right. If you've seen a situation, it could be big or small, but there's something you're just like, that's not right. You ever said that? And you're thinking, there's a sense of what right is. And when you see it and it's not that, something in you kind of gets fired up. Now, if you're somebody that's vocal, that not right turns into who do I need to talk to? Okay? And then that can cause other things to happen as well. But that's not right is a common phrase. That's not fair. I mean, I, I said this really young in my life. Right? As a kid, you're like, that's not fair. I should be able to eat cupcakes whenever I want. So, you know, as a kid, maybe your sense of justice is on, like, when you should get treats. But there's a sense in, like, we have what fair is. We have what's right. Or that's just wrong. If you see something happen, that's just wrong. Again, right and wrong, we kind of have this measure. And a lot of what's fueling that is what is just or, or unjust. I want to show a clip. Because what tends to happen is when, when things happen to us that's wrong or when we've been treated a certain way, that kind of alert goes off like something, something's the matter. An unjust situation has occurred. But what tends to happen is when that occurs, emotion builds in us. The alert goes off and then we're kind of fueled with an emotion, a reaction. And I want to show this movie from the movie Seabiscuit, a clip, sorry, from the movie Seabiscuit. Uh, Seabiscuit's the name of the horse. Uh, just in case you didn't know. Um, but in this, the, the jockey on top of Seabiscuit, I can't remember the jockey's name. Does anyone, anyone remember? Any? I knew that. But yeah, Toby, that's the actor. I don't know the real jockey's name. As you can tell, I didn't prep for this at all. This, his name I, I do not know. But Toby McGuire is the actor that plays the jockey, and he experiences this injustice. What I want you to do is watch his reaction and then watch the reaction to people that see his reaction. All right, let's watch that. Hey, Sahib. He's kind of small, isn't he? Gonna look a lot smaller in a second, Georgie. He's got five bucks, says he doesn't.
what were you thinking? He fouled me. What am I supposed to do? Let him get away with that? Well, yeah. When he's 40 to 1. He almost put me in the rail. Well, did he? Look, we had a plan. He fouled me, Tom. What am I supposed to do? He cut me off. He fouled me. Son. Son. What are you so mad at? This is us on the freeway, right? <laughs> like, like, I was just thinking about that as I was watching. Like, how many times? Like, they cut me off. And, you know, you just kind of want to let them know that you know that they did that. So you kind of speed up a little bit. You know, it's like we, but it's, he fouled me. He, he wronged me. He tried to push me against the rail. And he's, what did you expect me to do? And he asked that twice. What do you expect me to do? And that is such a common reaction to when we've experienced somebody wronging us. Just this injustice. He, he did something against me. But what's interesting, and what they do a good job in this movie, is they show the, the reaction to the outcome. And in this race, it totally got him off course. And he took matters into his own hands to really pay the guy back. And so he was trying to, you know, you like that? He was trying to get him back to the rail. And the whole time he, he lost track of the race and he lost. And then what are, you, what are you so mad at? That's a great question. But that's what tends to happen when injustice happens around us. And when it happens to us, we have an emotional reaction and we get into payback. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure that we can experience in life where we, we, we felt things like that, where we felt wronged, where we can just spin and spin on how to get back at the person that's hurt us. And so I kind of want to center on what do we do instead of that? Instead of paying somebody back, what, what, what do we do? And so James is writing the last chapter of his book to a group of people that have experienced a tremendous amount of injustice. He starts his letter talking to to the Jews who are scattered. And he's writing to Jewish Christians, Jews who've decided to follow Christ, but have been driven from their home in Jerusalem. And they're scattered throughout the region. Many have had to leave their, their homes and some of their families, their jobs, and they're just trying to survive as, as really new Christ followers that are experiencing a tremendous amount of persecution. They're also experiencing so much unknown. They're in new regions, new places. They're, they're just, they're dispersed. And so James is writing overall, this overall pressure of life to this crowd, to his, this group that, that really experienced it. But even more, they, they knew what injustice was. They, they saw this up close because of the persecution that they were facing for their faith. And in fact, this same persecution and same injustice happens today. A church in Egypt, two churches were actually bombed today and Christians were killed. For their faith this morning. And so James is writing to, to them thousands of years ago and he's writing to us today. But as he starts his last chapter talking about injustice, he actually starts it by giving a, a warning and a comfort. And it's in the, the pressure of life. When you feel like you don't have a way out, if you leverage against people and if you turn against them, whether it's to pay them back or just to leverage your strength against them, you're going to be in a tough spot. Like in the clip, if, if you want to put somebody against the rail because they put you against the rail, you're, you're going to get derailed. You're, you're going to stop on the course that, that God has you on. 
And so James is writing to this audience like has this, this warning, knowing that they're, they're kind of on the tipping point of all this stuff that, that's happening uh, in life. And so I want to start uh, James chapter 5 by giving uh, really the, the warning and the comfort. And the warning is, is really this, this warning to those that are unjust and being unjust to, to all those around them. So he starts the premise of chapter 5 with God doesn't ignore injustice. Okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but one of the key parts of a relationship with God is knowing that he's actually involved in life. Throughout centuries, people have tried to understand God and this being, and is he really here? Is he personal, or did he create or not create? And is he involved, or is he not involved? But the God of the Bible revealed, and according to the scriptures, is he's a God that's involved, and he's personal, and he sees, and he knows everything. Nothing escapes his watch. He doesn't sleep. He's not lazy. He's not apathetic in any way. He sees everything. And so for those that are experiencing injustice, that's the greatest comfort that can exist. Because it doesn't matter where you are or who you are or what you've been through. God knows. And he's the one that keeps the final count on the injustices that, that have occurred. And so James kind of begins with this, this in mind. And he starts with this idea of he brings consequences to uh, the unjust. And again, if you've not heard the book of James before, and this is your first Sunday as we've been walking through this book, James speaks very directly to his audience. He doesn't pull any punches. In fact, he kind of jabs a little bit. He wants to wake you up. He wants to kind of snap you out of just not thinking intentionally in your life. And so he says some just choice words, okay? And and we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. So James 5, 1 through 3, up here on the screen, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you. Quite an opening to the last chapter, right? But what he's saying is to all of us that are these new Christians, there's some of us who have decided in the pressure of what we're experiencing, we're going we're gonna to put our hope in riches. We're going to put our hope in our own gain and leverage that gain against other people. And that really is a picture of what injustice is. It's getting power, authority, status, and leveraging it against those that are less fortunate. And James is giving this warning, and he's saying, for all of you now, you're experiencing some pain and some misery that's come from your injustice. And he's talking through the consequences of this hollowed life that people are beginning to experience. And so this is the warning. If you treat people in an unjust way, if you use power and authority and status to leverage against others to push your own agenda, God's going to come against you. The reality of life will come against you. And he's giving this, this imagery of you fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter. Like you're just ripe for the picking of your own destruction. And so he's, he's taking this very seriously. God takes this seriously. You don't power up on people to push your own agenda. 
it's wrong in every sense, and, and he sees. And then he gives a more sterning warning, as you could see in 5 and 6. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. So in the middle of all this pressure that you're facing, again, this audience is, they're out from their, their hometown, the people he's writing to, and they've just turned to, they don't turn to God. They're just turning to pleasure. They're turning to themselves. They're turning to kind of their own self-gain. And that's actually a common tendency for all of us. When we experience pressure, pressure, we, we want to get out of there as quick as possible, right? We want to escape. Not only do we want to escape, but like, I want to feel better. I want to feel good. And so we can just turn to whatever will be a quick fix. So James is writing, like, God does not ignore. And God brings consequences. Now, here's the comfort, and this is in verse 4, is that he hears the cries for justice. He's talking to the same group, this warning, but in verse 4, check this out. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So there's this group of people who are trying to make ends meet. They're trying to follow God in their daily life, provide for their family, and then you have people that are are taking advantage of them. They're working but not getting paid. And James is saying that this, this cannot be so. Because as people cry out for the justice of God, he hears. They have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The, the word there, the Lord of hosts, is actually a connection to the Old Testament description of God. Host there is like army. The Lord of hosts. It's like the general of the army. And so what James is saying is when you've experienced people coming against you and taking advantage of you and injustice, if you follow God, you, you have this general who has an army who's leading you forward. And just like a general exists to pursue the mission but also to protect the troops, that's who God is. He's a general who protects all those who follow him. So for all those that are experiencing the pressure of injustice, they're a part of the army of God. And he's moving us forward. And he's leading us forward in his own protection and his own might. And so James used those words, the Lord of hosts, to kind of bring this imagery to these new Christians of the Old Testament God who they knew so well because they're Jews. God, the the mighty warrior, the general will protect you and he will hear you and he will lead you. And he's heard the cries of those who've experienced it. And so that's the comfort. Whatever we've experienced, again, God is there. He sees it. He knows it. He hears it. And he acts. And then James goes on and he kind of talks about, well, what what does this look like? So he gets this, this warning up front. As he wraps this up, he just wants to know... Stop taking advantage of people. And the reason you're experiencing some of the misery you're experiencing is because you're doing that. So he's he's just warning, stop it. And then for those that are experiencing being crushed by injustice, God hears you. He will protect you. And then I want to shift gears into the direction he gives to what do we do when we're actually in this this pressure-filled situation of just feeling taken advantage of or feeling like we've been wronged. Or seeing that around us. Sometimes, even in the world, as we see things that go on, we think, when, it, when is this going to stop? 
When are people going to stop being treated this way? When is this going to stop? And just that, that emotional reaction happens. And it can get us in, in a really tough spot because we think, what, what can we do? What can we do? And so James writes to us that want to know, okay, if he hears, then what do we do? If he, he's God and he hears, then what role do we play? And so I want to kind of turn the corner. So we can trust God under the pressure by doing a few things. And that's what James walks us through. Okay, so whatever you've experienced in your life of injustice, uh, James is writing to us. Or the things that we've seen around us that we thought are not right, that we think are wrong, that we think are unfair. James is writing to us just like he was writing to all those people scattered trying to figure out how to walk with God in this persecuted filled area. Okay, the first thing we can trust God in the middle of it is, is by being patient. Now, James, you know, he's given this just imagery and this warning and this comfort. And then he shifts gear and he's like, and wait on the Lord. And when you're in the middle of pressure, I don't know about you, but isn't that the last thing you want is patience? I don't do much like weightlifting. Couldn't tell. But if you've ever like tried to bench press something and you're really trying to push up a weight, and you're, you know, you're starting to shake, and maybe it's like, oh, dear, it's going to come down. And somebody says, you know, I got you, but just, just wait a little bit. You know, you're thinking, I, I cannot wait. I'm gonna, this is going to fall on me. So sometimes we, we hear, like, patience, like, I'm going to get crushed. But what James is writing is, is not be patient so you can get crushed, but be patient and let God do what he's going to do. And here's the instructions says this, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. So in that, just those two verses, you see patience, you see waiting, you see patience again, and you see patience again. So there's three times patient, one time wait. So you get the sense in just two verses, this is serious. So in the middle of the pressure, in those moments where it doesn't seem right, we have to have patience. And the picture is that of a farmer. I don't know if you've ever driven down to like the Central Valley. There's a lot of farmland there in California. You go through the 5 or the 99. But one time and a few times I've seen signs like this. Uh, I think it's on there. Pray for rain. Just on the side of the freeway. Who do you think put those signs there? The farmer, right? That's probably their land thinking, I don't know who's going to drive on this freeway, but I'm just going to ask every single person to pray. And I was actually reading in 2014 because of this severe drought that we've been having in California, which, you know, we're kind of coming out of. In 2014, the whole Central Valley, like churches got together to actually pray for rain. It was so severe. But a farmer cannot... Bring the rain. You can't. You have to wait for the rain. And what James is tying the picture is that's what justice is. You can't bring justice yourself when you've been wronged. You have to wait for God to bring it. Just like God brings the rain and he's in control of that, he's in control of justice as well. Now we can pray for justice, but it's God who brings it. Just like we can pray for rain. 
but it's God who brings it. So that's the picture James is saying. So he gives this warning and this comfort, and then he just highlights this. You have to wait on God to act. And that's a common theme in the Christian life. Continually, you do what you're supposed to do. You be faithful with what God's given you to do. And then you wait on him to act. You can't get around it. No matter how much pressure you experience, you have to still do. And so this idea of a farmer is while the farmer waits for the rain, the farmer has to still work. You still have to prepare the land. You still have to feed the animals. You still have to take care of your responsibilities while you pray and wait for rain. That's what James is saying. While you wait for God to be just and for God to make things right, you don't know if it's going to happen in your lifetime which can be a really precarious predicament to be in. What James is saying is you you be patient. You wait on God to bring the justice that he's going to bring. And he knows exactly what's right and just in any moment. Now, this is a little sidebar, but something I was thinking about related to my own life. Oftentimes, I want justice for others, but I want grace for myself. And so... I think part of this patience is, you know what? I don't know what God's going to do in a situation. But I know for me, often I'm not asking God, God, will you be just with me? I'm thinking, God, will you be gracious, compassionate, patient? So James is saying, really, we approach God with this patience, knowing that he's going to work this out in what's right, according to him, and what he sees and what he knows, which is everything. And so just like the farmer, we, we have to take care of responsibility. So if you've experienced this kind of pressure where you just feel wronged, you feel taken advantage of, or just misunderstood or misrepresented, you, if you're a parent, you still have to parent. If you work, you still have to work hard in your job. If you're in school, you still have to do your studies. If you have bills, you still have to pay them. Like, right, we look for that verse, like, where is that where it's like you don't have to, but you have to take care of your responsibilities, just like the farmer does. So Jim's saying, you wait on God to act, and he will act justly. Uh, the second is, you, you have to refuse to complain. And this is, now it gets even more real. Actually, I, I sorry, the second one is strengthening our hearts. I didn't skip that. Uh, strengthening our hearts, James 5 says this, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, in that verse there, in, in verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand is, is actually speaking about, like, Jesus' return. Okay, we, we, we celebrate next week, Jesus rose from the dead. That's called the resurrection. And when Jesus did that, over 2,000 years ago, he appeared to his disciples and other people in the crowd, and then he ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But Jesus is going to come back. And so this is referring to that time when Jesus is coming back. Now, as James is writing this, they're thinking, like, hopefully he's coming back soon because they're persecuted. They're under pressure. As you can imagine, that was over 2,000 years ago. So we don't know all that God does. We don't know when he's going to come back. But you establish your hearts because you know that Jesus is going to come back. And that's actually speaking to he's the judge. He's going to make it right. He's the judge. He's going to make it right. And so that, that strengthening your hearts is like the staying the course. Okay, if you're choosing patient, you're going to wait on God to bring justice. The establishing your hearts is you, you don't get off track. Like in the clip, 
You don't decide, I'm going to justice into my own hands. I'm going to pay them back wrong for what they've done to me. Because if you do that, then you're just going to get on this cycle where everyone's going to be trying to level with each other. So this idea, I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to trust on God, trust God to, to make this right. And that leads to the third, which I just mentioned, the refusing to complain. Uh, here's some things that I, I think often in my own life. It's not fair that I'm the only one blank. It's not fair and us being the only one is, is a common theme that we have. Like that's how we react to stuff. It's not, it's not fair. Have you ever got pulled over for like a ticket and you were speeding? But there's just a part of you that thought like, why'd they get me? That person was going way faster. You know, I said, am I the only one? Like, am I the only one that's ever thought that? No, I mean, I think that a lot. Like, out of all the people, why, why me? Why do I have to get in trouble? And I've been pulled over a few times. I'm not proud about it. There's a sense in which even that, in my wrongdoing, I measure my wrong up to somebody else's. So we even get into that. Like, well, I wasn't as bad as them. Yeah, I paid them back, but they did it to me first. And so much of this, this justice, like, this is like what kids, you know, you learn it at an early age. Like you're kind of, you have this own, your playground justice. Well, they did it to me first. This common reaction. That's not fair. Common reaction. We actually have the same reactions as adults. But just oftentimes it happens within us. And it just, it can just churn and churn. So when you complain about the injustice or being treated wrongly, it's like getting a magnifying glass. It just makes it bigger, but it doesn't do anything. Like it doesn't help. So James says this, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So again, you get this picture. Why do you not have to complain? Because God's the judge. That picture of he's standing at the door, it's like he's monitoring, right? He sees who's coming in, what's happening. And he's standing at the door. He's watching. So we, we, we have to stop those complaints uh, but before they happen. And then he, he ends his overall thought like by summarizing the theme that we've been talking about in this series. And that is in the pressure, whether it's from injustice or whether it's just from life, you actually have to endure. You have to endure under the pressure. You can escape it, but if you escape it, you're going to miss some of what God wants to grow in you. If you try to get out of there as quick as possible, you're going to miss what God wants to do in you. And so James is summarizing kind of all the themes, and he's just talked about injustice, and he goes back to kind of where he started. Remember, he starts his book with consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face testing and trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And he closes out his book with the same sentiment. And this is what he says in 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. That's that picture of enduring. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job 
And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And if you've never read the book of Job in the Old Testament, it's really a picture of a man who experienced so many trials and pressures, some of which I hope none of us would ever have to experience. But he didn't curse God, and he waited for God to make it right. If you've never read the book of Job, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy book, but it has some really good principles. And so James is kind of referring again to his audience. He knew that they knew this story. They've read this. This was a part of just them growing up as, as Jewish kids. And so he says, you know, remember, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so he, he's just this one last challenge to, to stand under the pressure. Don't try to escape. And so I was just kind of summarizing just my own life when I've ex- felt pressure. Some of which I felt wrong before. And I felt what he's talking about. And, and just I, I felt like, you know what? I, I remember what they did to me. Someone's wronged me. Like, you know, you keep it in your mind. Or, you know, I just trouble when things have kind of fallen apart in my life like I remember those situations they are hard they're hard to endure and to stay under and so it's like James is just kind of writing this last bit of encouragement to us in the pressures we face we learn from it as we stay under as we endure and are steadfast and so in whatever pressures we face here's some things that we tend to do that we have to watch out for. Uh, we may want to turn to others to rescue us. I remember in high school, I was doing some fun thing with the high school, and, and I got home really late, and I had to work the next morning really early. And it was like high school. It was probably like I had to wake up at 7. You know, It was tragic. But at the time... I was like, I didn't want to face that pressure. I mean, I had a job, and I knew, like, you have to be responsible for a job. But when it came down to it, like, I wanted the job for the money but not the responsibility. That's not how life works, which is why it's good to get a job. But that night I got home, and it was really late. And so I went to my mom, and, and I was like, how can I work my mom so she'll, like, let me call in sick for my job the next day? And I'm, like, 17 years old. So I had a strategy, and it was like, Mom, I'm so tired, and... I really need my rest, and I have to work tomorrow. And she's like, well, you better get up early and, and work. No, I know, but I'm really tired. Well, you you better make sure you set your alarm. I can, I can also make sure you get up. But I'm really tired, and I don't know how that's going to work. I was going to her to rescue me from the pressure of responsibility. And you know what? She did not let me bail. And to this day, I still can't believe my strategy didn't work but I'm so glad she didn't rescue me. But we have people in our life. They can be our parents. They can be spouses. They can even be our kids. There's people in our life that we know that they love us. And when we're in pressure, we think if I go to them and tell me, you know, if I tell them what I'm experiencing, they're going to think of a way to make it better. But sometimes you, you need to just turn to God and let him rescue you. And that's really hard to do. So we may want to turn to others to rescue us. Uh, We may be looking for an escape. Um, That's the second thing. 
we tend to do. Uh, escapes, money, pleasure, vacation. Have you ever experienced just the pressures of your life and you just think, I can't wait for, and it's usually like a vacation or when this period is going to be over. Now, that's normal. Again, we're not waking up like, I just love life when I'm completely stressed. Right? We don't do that. But what we tend to do is in the middle of the pressure, we look around like, okay, if I don't have anyone to rescue me, maybe something can rescue me. In the middle of pressure, we can turn all sorts of things for pleasure to make us feel better. But oftentimes, those things that we turn to pleasure instead of God, we miss out on the, the lessons God wants to teach us. So we have to watch out for turning to others to rescue. We, maybe, we have to watch out for looking for an escape. And the last one, we may try to fix it as quickly as possible. And this idea of steadfast, what James is talking about, when you're steadfast, you're actually not looking for the quick fix. There just might be some situations you're in where you have no idea when it's going to end. It could be a really stressful situation at work. It could be a conflict with somebody in your life. It could just be some trouble that has come upon you and you don't know why. The tendency, the quick fix, it's over. Then I can just move on. But in the middle of this, God wants to meet you. And you don't want to miss out of a season of your life where God wants to meet you just because you're, you're looking for a quick fix somewhere else or to get out of it as quick as possible. So this is kind of what his book is about. How do we not choose these things? And then the last reminder is this. Remember, God wants to use the pressure in life to grow us. So I, I want to encourage you with what you're experiencing right now, whether it's just feeling wronged and injustice to just being overwhelmed. In your stress, God wants to meet you there. In your feeling of discontent, God wants to meet you there. In your feeling of pain, God wants to meet you there. And then the last thing that James reminds us is the Lord of hosts leads us forward as we follow him. Again, we're, we're following a God who leads us like a general does an army, like we're part of his troop. So we don't have to be afraid. We're not by ourselves. We have God. And not only that, we have each other as the church. In the middle of the pressure, we can turn to each other for encouragement. We can turn to each other for help. And that's what he wants us to experience in church. So people in the world who are experiencing this kind of pressure can look to the church and see this is a group of people who actually move forward together. This is a group of people who have hope. This is a group of people that seem to actually have a joy despite their circumstances. God has wired that in as a picture so that they can see him work. So I want to encourage you. This is true. God wants to meet you right where you are in the pressure. And as a general, he wants to move us, move us forward. That's all I got. I'm done. Usually I, I wrap it up better than that, but I don't really have anything else to say. You guys want to come up? <laughs> I was going to say something, but then my mind just kind of went blank. Um, I'm going to pray.
that was the craziest ending ever. I apologize. <laughs> Since the words were done, and then I was like, I'm done too. Um, I'm going to pray, and there's some next steps uh, on your connection card that you can take. Uh, if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, you can do that. Um, and if you have prayer requests, we'd love to pray for you this week. Uh, the first thing is just to evaluate lessons that God has taught you uh, through this series or, or today, if this was your, your first time. And then the second is invite a friend to Easter. I want to encourage you on your connection card, you can just write. If there's somebody that you're inviting, um, I'd like to know this week, and I'd like to pray for that person that they'll come. And so if you're inviting somebody or a group of people uh, to Easter, if you write their names on the connection card, I'm going to pray for them uh, this week. Uh, one last thing, we, we have Lord's Supper tonight. And so if, if you're a part of, of tearing down, um, we're going to remove the side chairs, but we're going to leave the, the center ones here. And so if you can help with that, that would be great. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being completely present and engaged in every aspect of what happens in the world and every aspect of what happens in our life. And I ask God for us in a real way to to meet you uh, in the pressures that we face. And nothing escapes you and your attention. And I just pray for those right now, here and now, who are experiencing injustice and experiencing pressure. In the middle of that, God, will, will they be able to see that, that you're real and that you are full of compassion and mercy? And God, help us as we interact with those around us to see the opportunities to be encouragers and helpers to those that are experiencing this kind of pressure. And God, we pray for our services next week that uh, we'll be filled with the joy that comes from knowing uh, you have risen. And we thank you as an opportunity of the church to invite people. And so we pray for all those being invited, uh, that have been invited, that will be invited, that you'll free up their schedule, that you'll remove any obstacles in their mind or just in their life. That will prevent them from coming. And we pray next week, God, that you'll be honored above all. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, amen.